It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, an unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I just wanted to say to Colton, I wasn't the best mother. But I tried, so I was single. I was in my addiction and fighting the ministry every step of the way. You're the youngest, and you saw a lot of addiction. Your brothers and sisters are so hurt right now. Only God knows how deep my hurt is. I work alone and the rooms at the downtown motel so I can cry by myself. And I pray to God each day that you come home. I went, I, all I care about is that he's home. He's got a place to sleep and that I'm feeding him because when he's out there, I don't know where he sleeps. I don't know if he's had a meal. That's just the worst thing any mother can go through. I don't know what else to say. I don't know. I just want a picture of him. I just want to hear him again. I want to know that he's okay. So I'm asking anybody out there. On May 27th, 2021, Canadians collectively sat back in horror at the discovery of the bodies of 215 Indigenous children. Their remains were found in an unmarked burial site on the grounds of a now-closed residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. As we live in the dark shadow of this news, 
a 16-year-old First Nations boy has been missing for three years. The young teen was released from government care to his mother on May 2, 2018. The very next day, he seemed to just vanish. He has not been found. Stories like the one we are about to tell you have led many people to ask if a comparison can be made with the history of residential schools and the present-day system of government apprehension of indigenous children. This episode is not just a story about a missing child. It is a story about a system. It is also the story of a mom fighting to see her son again. This is the disappearance of Colton Flurry, and this is True North True Crime. everyone and welcome to episode 26 of True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. As usual, we want to start out by thanking some awesome folks who bought us coffee this week. We'd like to thank Terry Towner, Nochelle Armigan, Ali Felice, Reddy Viva, Jess Martins, C. Phillips, Dave Robbins, and Giraffe3000 for donating some much-needed coffee for this week's episode. True North True Crime is a self-funded and independent podcast that brings awareness to missing people and victims of violent crime in Canada. If you would like to donate to the podcast by buying us a coffee, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. It can be a one-time donation, or if you would like to become an honorary producer of the podcast, you can choose the $5 a month member option. Jess Martins chose the member option and is now an honorary producer of the podcast. So welcome aboard, Jess. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TNTCPod or on our Facebook page at True North True Crime. We officially hit our one year anniversary of the podcast and we want to thank you all for supporting us and also welcome all of our new listeners. So tonight we are talking about the disappearance of Colton Theron Fleury. Colton went missing from the city of Prince George, British Columbia on Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. At the time of his disappearance, Colton is described as a 16-year-old First Nations boy. He is 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighs 120 pounds. He is said to have a light complexion with brown hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a red hoodie and jeans. If you have any information on Colton's disappearance, you are asked to call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. We put this episode together using publicly available news articles, and we also spoke at length with Phyllis Fleury, who was Colton's mother. Before we get into the details of this case, we feel it is important to acknowledge the recent discovery of an unmarked burial site at a former residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. Ground-penetrating radar was used on the site of the now-closed school. The search revealed the unmarked graves of 215 Indigenous children. It's important to note that these deaths were also undocumented. 
For our listeners outside of Canada, the term residential schools refers to the extensive school system set up by the Canadian government and administered by the Catholic churches that had the objective of educating Indigenous children, but also the more damaging and equally explicit objectives of indoctrinating them into Euro-Canadian and Christian ways of living. The residential school system officially operated from the 1880s into the closing decades of the 20th century. The system forcibly separated children from their families for extended periods of time and forbade them to acknowledge their indigenous heritage and culture or speak their own languages. Children were severely punished if these, among other strict rules, were broken. Residential schools provided indigenous students with inappropriate educations, often only up to the lower grades, that focused mainly on prayer and manual labor. While many of the atrocities of the residential school system have come to light through a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it is clear that much of what happened is still hiding in the shadows. The legacy of the pain and trauma inflicted on the Indigenous people in Canada continues to this day. Many people point to the use of the Ministry of Child and Family Development as a modern-day extension of the government overreach into Indigenous communities. We bring this up for two reasons. One, we as a Canadian podcast need to acknowledge that the residential school system and other forms of systemic attacks on Indigenous people exist. And two, we hope that you will listen to this episode through the lens of the recent discovery at the Kamloops Residential School. We're now going to play a clip of Phyllis Fleury um, when she was interviewed on one of her searches in the downtown east side of Vancouver. Um, this clip also has Ian B. from the Aboriginal Front Door, and uh, it was provided by the Vancouver Sun. He got up 7 o'clock in the morning on May 3rd and he left the downtown motel, which is where I live and I work, and I, we've never seen him since then. He's my baby of seven children. He's only 16 years old. I heard that Holton may be in Vancouver area, so I came. I was here on Sunday afternoon to look for Colton. So I've been on the streets here now for four days, going up and down Hastings, going to Oppenheimer Park. I went to Van Du and I spoke to a lady there and she saw him on Sunday night at Oppenheimer Park. Many people in my position helped me out when I was younger. And so what I want to do is give back. And for one, I won't rest until someone's found. I help so many other missing uh, missing persons cases. They're usually found in next 24 hours when I start hunting them down. Look for them at nighttime. Is because that's the best time to look for them because during the day they'll be sleeping somewhere. And uh, if he was spotted in Oppenheimer Park, he's most likely going to be in the same area. Get maybe like 10 of these cases here and there throughout the whole year. Um, but sometimes most of the families that come down here look for someone, they usually have their own pack of family looking for them. And so we try to use our resources in a good way. So we're not all trying to run in together and yeah, overlapping uh, spots where we could scare someone. I want him to know that he needs to call me. I, I, I was under the impression that he was dead. All his brothers and sisters are waiting for him and Prince George. So as Phyllis just said, Colton was from Prince George, British Columbia, and he also went missing from Prince George. 
Prince George is located in northern British Columbia and is the largest city in the north, with a population of about 75,000 people. Prince George sits on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Letlitne First Nations. Prince George is considered the eastern endpoint of the Highway of Tears, or Highway 16, a notorious stretch of highway that has long been an area where people, largely Indigenous women, have gone missing or been murdered. Prince George is a town that was built on the forestry industry. It is considered a pretty blue-collar town with folks working in chemical plants, an oil refinery, and special machine manufacturing. Not going to lie, though, Prince George is a tough town. It has often made the top 20 on the Maclean's Magazine list of most dangerous towns in Canada. While this episode is about Colton, we can't tell you his story without introducing you to his mom, Phyllis Fleury. We had the pleasure of chatting with Phyllis over the last few weeks. Her story is not an easy one to tell, but she has persevered, and she is a fierce advocate for her son. Phyllis is Wet'suwet'en First Nations. Most folks listening to this will know that the Wet'suwet'en are in a conflict with the Canadian government over Indigenous land rights due to a pipeline project which threatens their land. Phyllis is from Witset, which was known as Morristown, a Wet'suwet'en village in central British Columbia, located on the west side of the Bulkley River. For various socioeconomic reasons, Phyllis was put into the foster care system until she was in grade three. This took her away from Whitset and from her family. In grade three, she was returned to Morristown, or Whitset, where she stayed for four years. Phyllis was then taken off to what was referred to as a boarding school run by the Roman Catholic Diocese in Prince George. We asked Phyllis if this was considered a residential school, and she told us that it isn't officially one, but the children in her area were sent there to get an education away from their families, so you can do with that what you will. In her own words, Phyllis states that she was torn from her grandparents who raised her and that the Ministry of Child and Family Development tore her family apart. After she was taken into ministry care, her grandparents broke up and her grandfather died from alcoholism. After Phyllis was placed in ministry care, she only saw her grandmother four times throughout her life. In Prince George, Phyllis would go on to have seven children. In her life, Phyllis would be a victim of intimate partner violence and addiction. Alcohol addiction specifically took hold of Phyllis and her own children would be taken into ministry care through the Ministry of Child and Family Development, or MCFD. Phyllis would relapse on and off through the years. She would fight hard to get her kids back, but she said that MCFD was impossible to fight alone, and the pain of that fight would often lead to her relapses. But Phyllis would continue to battle her addiction. Phyllis would go to four treatment centers. Then, on March 12, 2013, Phyllis said she made the decision to keep the plug in the jug, which is to say she stayed sober, and she is still sober to this day. While sober, Phyllis would fight tooth and nail to get her kids back. But once kids are in care, the task can seem impossible, especially for one woman to be fighting the government. Phyllis got a job as a room attendant at the downtown motel in Prince George. This same motel gave her accommodations so that she could have a place to live. Today, Phyllis works with Central Native Health as an outreach worker, providing food, harm reduction materials, and support to those living with addiction. She has just turned eight years sober. And as some of you know, I am also sober, and this is something that Phyllis and I bonded over in our conversations. Phyllis's family is no stranger to tragedy. When Colton was just a baby, his parents were visiting Vancouver when they came across his aunt Mona Wilson, who was living on the downtown east side. 
Months later, Mona Wilson would go missing. According to trial documents, Mona Wilson was the last known victim of Canadian serial killer Robert Picton. In 2018, Colton Fleury was 16 years old. He loved skateboarding, Facebook, and his little dog Gizmo. His family called him quiet and a sweetheart. Phyllis admits that Colton's life was hard, and she takes responsibility for that. Colton was born on October 24, 2001. We asked Phyllis what he was like when he was younger. She said he was happy and that he was funny. He was the youngest of her seven kids. As Colton got older, there are photos of him taking part in culture camps that are run by the Wet'suwet'en and First Nations during the summer. Sadly, Colton would be placed in and out of government care. When he was not with Phyllis, he was in foster care or group homes. When Colton was just 11, he was diagnosed with behavioral issues. He was placed in a home that had children with similar issues, but the kids he was in that home with were far younger than him. Colton hated that place. His behavior got worse while he was there, and he would threaten the staff and smash the walls. At one point, Colton ran away from this particular home. He was returned by the RCMP. The RCMP officer would confide to Phyllis that Colton did not belong in that home. Phyllis believes that this place that was there to help him actually made him worse. At 14, Colton would get into smoking joints and later methamphetamine. When Colton was 15, Phyllis had found a place to live and Colton was back in her care. Colton would go on to have a violent outburst and break a window. They would later get evicted from this residence. Phyllis didn't know what to do. She was watching her son spiral. So she made the decision to file criminal charges against Colton for the broken window. She thought that maybe if he could be sent to a youth center, that he could detox and maybe get his life back on track. She would state, I wanted him to be put in a facility where he did not get the drugs. And he could think about what has happened and what will happen in his life. The RCMP said no. They didn't want to lay charges. They called the MCFD, who then put him into a group home where things again got worse. So this is Colton and Phyllis's story up to the day he went missing. This has been a hard story to tell, and we hope that we've explained it well. I asked Phyllis what the MCFD plan was for Colton, if there was uh, attempts to help him get sober or attempts to help him find a trade or finish high school or go to university. And she told me that they basically want to keep kids like Colton in care until they age out and then teach them how to apply for disability social assistance money. For our listeners who wonder what generational trauma looks like, this is it. We have a mother that was taken into government care at a young age. She struggled with alcoholism, she has fought poverty, addiction, and domestic violence. Then her own children were taken into government care, and since then, some of her grandkids are also in government care. We have a young boy who has grown up in and out of government care. He is also fighting with substance misuse, anger, poverty, and a government system designed to hold him until he ages out. Now, we know that there are amazing, compassionate, and skilled human beings that work as social workers and with the MCFD. There are also wonderful foster parents and caring group home providers. But we also know that a patchwork of systems and services has been cobbled together over the years through various governments. We're not here to blame the workers on the ground, and we don't want it to come across that way at all. But we do want to highlight how harmful these systems themselves can be. We are now going to talk through the details of the day that Colton went missing. So in May of 2018, Colton had been living in a group home for the past year. It was decided by MCFD that Colton would be released back into his mother's care. Phyllis, 
like we said, was working and living at the downtown motel in Prince George. Social workers approved her living space for her and only one of her children. However, one of her adult sons was currently staying with her. Phyllis had to make the challenging decision to ask the older adult son to leave and find other accommodations. Otherwise, Colton would not be allowed to live with her. Colton was brought over to the motel from the group home on Wednesday, May 2nd, 2018. The following is Phyllis's account of what happened. Quote, The group home people dropped him off at the motel room, and he had not even half a bag of clothes and it was a garbage bag. He had put it down, and I gave Colton a hug and said, You are home now. He looked at her and said, Mom, are you finally going to get the family allowance now? And she said, No, the social worker said not yet. So apparently the social workers said that they had to go through the court to return the family allowance to Phyllis. The family allowance is an additional financial stipend from the government for people with children. The social worker said that Phyllis would not get the family allowance yet, so that's what she told Colton. Apparently the social worker gave her some uh, food vouchers instead. Phyllis says it was then that something just kind of clicked in Colton and he stayed quiet. He stayed in the room all night and he didn't go anywhere. And then he went to bed before 10 p.m. He never did this. So Colton would usually stay out as late as 11.30 at night sometimes. Or he and his friends would hang out until 12, 12.30, smoking cigarettes outside or doing whatever teens do. But this time, he went to bed before 10 p.m. Phyllis had a uh, cot-style bed set up beside her bed and she saw that Colton was sleeping. Eventually, she went to sleep too, and then she heard a stir going on. She thought Colton was maybe getting up to go to the bathroom. It was pretty early in the morning. So then she woke up at 9 a.m. on Thursday, May 3rd, 2018, and Colton was not in his bed. He wasn't in the room at all. When Phyllis looked at the CCTV footage from the lobby of the motel, she saw that he had left. The time that he had left was 7 in the morning. He didn't have a bag or anything. Phyllis usually goes to work at 9 a.m., and she said that Colton is never up at that time. Like we said, the footage is from the lobby. The RCMP and Phyllis watched this footage a number of times. No car was shown on the footage picking him up. Colton was just walking out of the motel. Phyllis and Colton had a meeting set up for later that day, at the group home, but he didn't show up to that. However, the group home said that Colton had called them that day looking for his money. The group home was supposed to give him his allowance on Friday, May 4th. Phyllis was also going to give him money that Friday as well because Colton walks her dogs and she pays him every Friday. He never did get that money and he never went to the group home to get the money that they had promised him. In Prince George, initially some folks did say that they saw Colton on Thursday, May 3rd. One person said they saw him get into a taxi. Other people report that he was partying in Rainbow Park with a group of teens. But in reality, there hasn't been a confirmed sighting of Colton or any communication by Colton since that day. So let's get into some of the unconfirmed sightings and Phyllis's journey to find her son after a quick break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Colton Theron Flurry. Flurry was born October 24th, 2001. My baby boy went missing on May 3rd. 2018. He was 16 years old. I love you, Colton. My name is Phyllis Fleury, and I'm not here to lay blame on any one person. I was once in my own addiction and have since found my own way. Getting stronger each day as having my youngest son missing also teaches me strength. He has also brought me closer to God. Having faith is what keeps my sanity and sobriety. After four treatment centers, I decided to keep the plug in the jug. I admit Holton did not have an easy life. In my addiction, the Ministry for Children and Families had my children a number of times. Each time I fought tooth and nail to retrieve my children out of foster care. While they had my kids in care, MCFD would search for dirt on my life. They would schedule visits for me with my children and then cancel at the last minute, saying they cannot fix it. So, in turn, I would go out and get drunk as my children were not with me. And this happened numerous times. I see this happening to others that I have now that I've been sober for so long, eight years today. It happens to ladies that were not strong enough to battle MCFD nor their addiction. These ladies got stuck in their own hurting addictions and lost in the city of Vancouver. I know this as I have been in touch with them trying to speak to them of my experiences in our uh, in our growing up on the reserve we had lots of kids in one household and we each felt the love in that home we each took care of one another i was torn away from my grandparents who raised me mcfd of course tore this family apart because After we were gone, my grandma left my grandpa. I was taken as a child, put in foster homes. My kids were taken away, and now my grandchildren are taken by MCFD. Luckily, I I stepped in with my sobriety and asked my niece to take my last four grandchildren into her home. Colton was 11 years old. MCFD decided he was a child with behavioral problems. 
ministry put him in a home with very small children whom they also said had behavioral problems. One being my eldest grandchild, Dekila. She is adopted out now. Colton could not stand it there and his anger got the best of him. He smashed walls and threatened the staff. Odd how his behavior only got worse. Uh, the RCMP officer who, who returned Colton to that place said that was that poor boy did not belong there. Of course, MCFD knew it all. Even knew better than the RCMP. Soon after, Colton was back into my care and he began to experiment with drugs. Of course, always returned with the protection order. This meant that MCFD could come in and grab my kids again. Colton was angry on his drug of choice and smashed a large picture window in my home rental that I kept up in order that my children were not homeless. Since losing that home, my next younger kids were homeless and had substance abuse issues. Colton was placed in a group home where he became, became aggressive with staff and others. When the window was smashed, I asked RCMP to have Colton arrested and he, as he was getting into drugs and uncontrollable. RCMP took it upon themselves to call MCFD to pick up Colton from the detachment. Of course, MCFD was happy to go apprehend another child. It was my intention to have Colton put in a youth containment center so he could think of where his life was going and possibly make changes. MCFD put him back in a group home where I later learned that the kids there get the bit of allowance and run off to Fifth and Ewart where there was a drug dealer. I once went there as I had three reports of the same address and they said there was no such kids going there, nor had they seen Colton. I lived in a motel where I worked as a chambermaid because my other kids were homeless. They came to spend nights with me. Colton's brother, Wade, came in a lot to stay with me in, in order for MCFD to return Colton to my care. They said Wade had to leave. Wade left and returned two days later asking that I bring him to the hospital. He had blistered feet from walking the streets for two days. Meanwhile, just next door at the same motel, a non-native lady lived in a smaller room, one bed with her three kids. My room was large with two beds. Of course, MCFD did not bother that lady. I knew this because I cleaned those rooms. The next few days, a group home worker dropped Colton off at the motel with a small garbage bag of clothes. The first thing Colton asked was, are you getting the family allowance for me, mom? I had to explain that the social worker said no. Colton got very quiet, 
mad and it seemed as if something had just clicked. It didn't matter to me as I got paid every two weeks. MCFD could keep the allowance. That night, Colton went to sleep at 10 o'clock, which never happened before. He often spent weekends with me and stayed out late with his friends and always slept till late afternoon. I heard a stir pretty early and I thought Colton was just going to the bathroom. I got up to go to work and Colton was gone, never to be seen again. RCMP did not do a missing person release until so much later. Almost a month, I believe. The video from the motel showed Colton left around 7 a.m. He was never out that early. About six months have passed. MCFD had decided to call me even though I was not in a good mind with my son missing in my turmoil and worry. MCFD spoke of things I did not care to understand and agreed on the phone to whatever. Later, I got a call from my band outreach worker, Dwayne Robinson. He was at the courthouse on other matters. He informed me that MCFD was trying to return Colton into my care. I was not even in court for this to happen. So it was sneaky for them to try and do this without me present. I wondered, how can you return a child to my care who is missing? They, in fact, thought they could sweep it under the carpet. Duane, of course, put a stop to this. I later went to court and asked the judge to be sure Colton was in care until he was found or of age. In that order, I asked the judge to make sure MCFD was to sponsor my funds to search for my missing son, and they did. It was, it is now almost three years. MCFD could have easily bought my son a cell phone. Would have been so much easier to locate him or he could have called if he was in trouble. I barely made it on my income as food and shelter always came first. Anyone in the motel business knows it is hit and miss each day. As I have said in the past, a siren goes off. I think of Colton. Any remains found anywhere. I think of Colton. A bust in human trafficking. I think of Colton. I have faith in God that Colton will return home. I love you, my son, my baby boy. I'm sober and definitely changing my life.
from what I used to be. Thank you for taking the time to read and listen to all my relations. And we are back. So that was an audio clip of Phyllis reading a letter she wrote to MCFD. We understand that some of the information was covered earlier in our episode. However, we wanted to make sure that our listeners were able to hear Phyllis speak, hear her emotion, and be able to understand a mother's perspective. So before the break, we outlined all that we know about Colton, his mother Phyllis, and the day he went missing. So in the days, months, and years since Colton has been missing, Phyllis has been told many stories. There have also been many unconfirmed sightings of Colton from Toronto to Vancouver and all points in between. Some of the stories and rumors she has heard involve foul play. So let's walk through those now. Phyllis has been told that Colton owed money for drugs and that he was either killed or kidnapped. In 2020, Colton's dad, Rob, was told that Colton was taken by two people in a truck. They took him out into the bush somewhere. The men then came back without Colton. They had a shovel, blood on their clothes, and then they burnt their clothes. Another story was that two people took Colton to scare him, but the truck they were in hit a power pole and Colton died. They then hid his remains. A story came out before Christmas of 2020 that a guy by the name of Sepp killed Colton and is now looking for Colton's sister. Frequently the same names come up in these stories and similar themes with slight variations. One person told Phyllis that Colton was brought up to the Prince George cut banks. A gun was held to his head. They didn't shoot him, but eventually they took Colton to Vancouver in a white truck. They came back to Prince George without Colton. We should mention here that Vancouver is a 10 to 12 hour drive from Prince George. That seems like a long time to ride in a car with someone you are trying to make disappear. We asked Phyllis about the RCMP response She said it took the RCMP weeks to put out a missing persons alert and that there was no massive search, although the RCMP did interview quite a few people. The RCMP continued to tell Phyllis that they do not believe that Colton has ever left Prince George. But there have been many sightings of Colton in the lower mainland of British Columbia specifically, and like we have stated, these have not been confirmed by any family. Colton has not reached out to Phyllis, his biological father, or any of his siblings or friends in Prince George. A big focus of Phyllis's search has been Vancouver. Many nonprofits have stepped in to help her, and she has spent countless hours walking the streets of Vancouver, handing out flyers with Colton's information on them. Phyllis has traveled to Vancouver 14 times to look for her son. Not once did she see him. Multiple times, people have told her that a boy fitting Colton's description was in the area. And multiple times, she has stood on street corners for days on end, waiting to see if her son would appear. The very first story that came up was that he was being held by a drug dealer and they were not going to let him go because he made them money. Sometimes in the drug trade, having a teen work for you is advantageous as they won't do any meaningful jail time and they tend to stay loyal. Phyllis has also been told that Colton might be going by the name Malachi. Phyllis met up with a lady who says that Colton was at the Jackson Street Apartments in the downtown east side. There has been a recurring rumor that Colton was there with an older blonde woman who is his girlfriend. Folks in the Maine and Hastings area of Vancouver have said that they actually know Colton and this girlfriend. One young man rode up to Phyllis on a bike and said, Yeah, I know this kid. He's hiding out because his parents beat him up all the time. Phyllis told him that she was his mother and didn't ever hurt him. And the kid didn't know what to say. He just jumped back on his bike and rode off. 
Another time when Phyllis was driving back to Prince George after searching in Vancouver, a person called her and said, I have a young man here at the safe injection site. He says he knows Colton and that Colton is not ready to reach out to you yet. That was two years ago. Then, about eight months ago, she got a message from an Indigenous nonprofit in Vancouver. The outreach worker said that one of their workers had met Colton and that Colton again was not ready to reach out to her yet. Phyllis has obviously been exasperated by some of these stories, especially the ones that come from the street. She has told us that she is so tired of the lying drug dealers saying he's one place or another. I just wish they'd speak the truth sometimes. She has also had her missing posters of Colton torn down in Vancouver and in Prince George. Just before Christmas 2020, someone had taken a video of a couple of young homeless people on Pender Street, downtown Vancouver. They got as close as they could to one individual. He looks a lot like Colton. We have compared a still shot from the video to other photos of Colton. Although the quality is not good and the lighting is bad, the person has the same fair skin, the same hair, same eyebrows, bone structure, and features as Colton. We asked Phyllis if Colton had ever talked about leaving Prince George or going to Vancouver, and she said, One of the kids he knew was at a Wet'suwet'en Christmas dinner I was at. One of the people there was at a group home with Colton. He realized that I was Colton's mom because I handed out cards and posters. This young man told me that Colton had told his friends that he was going to disappear. This lifted my spirits to know he may still be out there. I still believe he is out there. Maybe someone does have him and won't let him go. Maybe he has gotten to the point where the addiction is all he cares about. But Colton could be out there. Over the years since Colton went missing, Phyllis has received financial help for her searches through her band office and the Ministry of Child and Family Development. However, Colton has recently turned 19 years old. This means that he is now an adult. Because he is now an adult, no one is supporting Phyllis to find her son. So clearly a lot has happened over the last three years, but Colton has still not been found. So let's get into some theories and how we can help find Colton after a quick break. And we are back. So now we're going to walk through some basic theories as to what may have happened to Colton. We are not investigators. We are just a couple of people with a podcast, but let's see what we can break down for you. We feel that this usually helps folks to know how and where they can help. So the first theory is that Colton was a victim of foul play. In this theory, it can be assumed that Colton was possibly murdered by one or more people in the Prince George area. The rumors that have circled suggest that perhaps Colton owed money to bad people. They then took him out to the outskirts of town and murdered him. The day before Colton left his mother, he had asked about the family allowance check. It was the first thing he said to her. When she said that the social worker hadn't approved it yet, he got quiet. He didn't take this news well at all. This would perhaps indicate an urgent need for finances. He eventually went to bed earlier than normal, did not go out and hang with his friends. Was there a reason he didn't go out that night to hang in the park or outside with friends? Was he afraid of someone? He then left at 7 a.m. This was not normal. Was he on the run or trying to make some evasive maneuvers to avoid someone who wanted to do him harm? Like we stated earlier, Prince George is a tough town and bad stuff happens there. Colton was known to use meth and he had friends who were in similar situations. While meth is incredibly cheap and it's hard to rack up big debt, many meth dealers 
will still punish people over small amounts of debt as they see it as a sign of disrespect. We've heard stories of people being tossed out of windows for debts as low as $20. Colton has also not reached out to any of his family or friends since his disappearance. However, Colton's body has never been found, and there have been some frequent and relatively credible sightings. RCMP have also interviewed many people and have not indicated that foul play is suspected in his disappearance. The next theory is that Colton simply ran away. People have said that he was given money for a bus ticket to Vancouver, while others have said that he got a drive to Vancouver. Now, we looked up the bus schedule for Prince George to Vancouver, and it looks like there are two options. One is at 7.45 a.m., and the other is at 11.30 p.m. A one-way ticket to Vancouver would cost about $80. Phyllis told us that the Greyhound station is just around the corner from the downtown motel, so it is plausible that Colton left the room at 7 a.m. and caught a 12-hour bus ride to Vancouver at 7.45. Or, if the rumors are true, that he was sighted in Rainbow Park and called the group home looking for his money, maybe he took the red eye that left at 11.30 p.m. So this is a plausible theory, but the question is why? Why would he run away? We know that Colton didn't have an easy life. He had behavioral issues that were exacerbated by meth use. He did have reasons to run away, to get away from Prince George and start a new life. However, he was only 16 and did not have any means. He never picked up the money from his mom or the group home. It has also now been three years since he disappeared, and as we stated, he has not contacted anyone in his community. We hope that this is what happened. We hope that Colton is alive and living in Vancouver, but he is incredibly high risk and he needs to be found. This is not an easy way for a young man to start his life in this world. Some positive tips have come in that we want to highlight. Vancouver has two large homeless encampments, one in Oppenheimer Park and the other is in Strathcona Park. It also has many government-run single-room occupancy hotels in the downtown east side for people experiencing homelessness. We have learned that someone fitting Colton's description was seen getting into a tent in Oppenheimer Park. Sadly, Vancouver police officers were blocked by activists from entering the park throughout the years that the tent cities were in existence. One VPD member spoke to Phyllis and said that he does recognize Colton. Another person stated that Colton was staying at the Canada Hotel, an SRO run by BC Housing, which is a government service. Now, we say that this is good news because recently the homeless encampments have been taken down and all occupants who wanted have been housed in government hotels and shelters. We believe that if Colton was in the parks or in a government SRO, that there will be some record of him being housed. We hope this is the case. If any of our listeners work for BC Housing, Lookout Society, Rain City Housing, Atira, or the Portland Housing Society, or any of the other housing advocates in the downtown east side, we hope that you will keep an eye out for Colton. As we stated earlier, Phyllis has been on her own journey to find her son. While she did receive help when Colton was 16, that help has dried up now that he is an adult. COVID-19 has stopped her travels to and from the Lower Mainland to find Colton. Phyllis has been relying on her Facebook page, which is called Help Find Colton Theron Flurry. Please join that page and show Phyllis some support. Phyllis understands that Colton may be angry with her and that he has started his own life, but she just needs him to reach out to her to tell her that he is alive and okay. We asked Phyllis how our listeners can help. 
She stated, that's the biggest question. Please share the story, share the podcast. Mostly help me with prayers. That's all I look forward to, and that's all I could do right now. And come to my page, share my story, get his picture out there as much as we can. He doesn't have to come home. I just need to know he is okay. I checked in on Phyllis's sobriety to see how she's holding up through all of this, and she said, not everyone will make the decision to get sober. I stayed sober while my son has been missing. I stayed sober through the death of my other son. I had to do it sober. I get into my low places, but it's all I can do. We're now going to play one more clip for you from Phyllis's Facebook page. I have to get up every morning. I have to wonder, where's my son? Why is he not contacting us? I've come to the realization, you know, he... He may very well be up there with his brothers. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring, sharing, and following me. God bless you all. We started off this episode talking about the recent discovery of 215 children's bodies buried in an unmarked gravesite at a residential school in Kamloops. Since we started researching this episode, some news has come out of another burial site at a residential school, this time in Manitoba. The last residential school in Canada closed in 1996. Most Canadians believe it is a thing of the past, but the trauma still remains to this day. We think it's important to highlight that in modern-day Canada, Indigenous children are 18 times more likely to be separated from their parents and put into government care than any other children in the country. In British Columbia, First Nations people make up just 6% of the total population, yet 46% of youth in care are Indigenous. Kids leaving government care die at five times the rate of the general population of young people in the province of British Columbia. We hope folks will consider donating to the Indian Residential School Survivor Society or a similar nonprofit. We will link that on our Facebook page. At the time of his disappearance, Colton is described as a 16-year-old First Nations boy. He is 5 foot 8 inches tall and 120 pounds. He is said to have a light complexion with brown hair and brown eyes. If you have any information on Colton's disappearance, you are asked to call Crime Stoppers. We believe that he is in the Vancouver area or the lower mainland of British Columbia. If you would like to support our podcast, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. Our producers on the podcast are Amy's Book Reviews, Alberta Bly, Cindy McDee, Blair Martin, Alyssa Santos, Anastasia, Ariel Elliott, Melanie E., Kelly Donahue, Carolyn Moore, Emily L., Jason Dallas, Jimmy Hankins, Tiffany C., and the Missing and Unexplained podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode and supporting the podcast. We will be back soon with another episode. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, gang. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.